This is KMTT, Kimitzion Titzay Torah, in uh, the summer's man. Starting uh, now after Pesach, we'll be having a series of shiurim by Harav Moshe Tarragon on Pekei Avot, to complement, hopefully, your own learning of Pekei Avot each week, a different parak, one Mishnah, one idea, from each parak keeping up with the general learning. Harav Moshe Tarragon. The second Mishnah of the first, second parak in Perki Avos cites a statement of Rabbi Gamliel, the son of Yudanasi. Yudanasi, as we know, was the Nasi, Yudanasi, and the Gemara and Ksuos on Daf Kuf Gimel Amid Beis recounts that when Rabbi, namely Rabbi Yudanasi, Rabbi's nickname, passed, he said, told everyone, I need to speak to my oldest son. Rabbi Gamliel was the oldest son of Rabbi Huda, Hanasi, of Rabbi. So Rabbi Gamliel entered the room, as was requested, and Rabbi Huda Hanasi transferred the Nasius to him at that point. Transferred the um, the reins of the Nasius. And he gave his son some advice. He said, My son, you should conduct yourself um, you should conduct yourself You should conduct yourself biramim. It's hard to know exactly what biramim means. Ram means someone high, someone great. Um, one would assume that Rabbi Danasi was instructing his son, Rabbi Gamliel, not to be afraid, not to be hesitant about wielding that power. Maybe wielding that power biramim, not just through power and authority, but to impose that authority upon even great people who have to still submit to the centralized authority of the Nasius. Rashi, in his interpretation of that Gemara in Ksuvos, Rashi writes, Nehog biramim ben hagidolim. Interesting, interesting perspective that he actually instructed his son, or at least was informing his son, if not instructing that he would be sitting, he would be residing, he would be hobnobbing with great people. Perhaps um, very often you have it's, it's hard to know the exact chemistry or or, or dynamic between Nasi and his son. Very often, when a father achieves great stature and, and is accustomed to asserting his own personality and asserting that authority, very often a son will remain within the father's shadow, will feel inhibited about assuming the father's role and, and stepping into that father's role. So, it could be that Hidanasi is instructing his son that now it's your turn, now it's your your administration, it's your career, and you have to step out of my shadow and sit with Ramim, sit with Gedolim. And the continuation of his advice, Zrok Mara, he told him, Zrok Mara B'Talmidim, um, you should instill your fear amongst the Talmidim. Um, unclear whether this is a statement about the political role of the Nasi, or as the literal reading of that instruction of Rebbe Huda Nasi, Zrok Mara B'Talmidim. Nasi had a role as teaching Torah as well. And he was referring now not to his political Exercises, which he had spoken about earlier, but to his teaching duties. Either way, he was instructing him to teach with fear. Um, mara. Um, fear and, and, and apprehension. And um, that's obviously central to the Torah learning experience. It's something which is very hard, especially in the modern context, for a Rebbe to actively expect and to demand 
especially today because it's seen, unfortunately, given the type of dynamic within our society, would be seen as self-serving and self-interested. You should fear me, you should receive and respect me. Something which has to be earned on its own, inherently, based on the conduct of the Rebbe and based on the general attitude towards Tara. Um, but certainly in previous generations, the, the sense of fear that a Rebbe has, or a Rebbe is able to create for a Talmud, is essential for two reasons. A, practically, is that the Talmud will have incentive, especially younger Talmud, to learn purportedly. It's hard to know. Um, these, are some, these stories sometimes are either real or apocryphal, but supposedly, Ravaran Salavechik, the brother of the Rav, Yosef Dovalevi Salavechik, once commented that, in, in some way, I don't know the exact terminology, but why had his brother become the Rav? There's nothing wrong with Ravaran Salavechik, who was a tremendous Talmud Chacham in a big gadol, and unfortunately, he was someone whose career never really flowered, perhaps, to the degree that it could have. He was someone who, very often you have these figures in history, who are great Rosh Hashivas, great personalities, great Torah suppliers, but they just never enjoy the audiences that maybe they should have. And one can say that about Ravaran Salavechik, everyone knows who the Rav was. So Ravaran once said, well, how did the Rav, as it were, become who he was? Well, he, Ravaran Salavechik, the brother of the Rav, was, and again, it's story that people say, it's hard to know if it really took place. It seems like a strange thing for Ravaran to say. But Ravaran Salvechik said that our father, of Moshe Salvechik, taught us Torah. And would become furious with us if we didn't remember or didn't understand a piece of Torah. And would actually, it seems like at some age, would actually express it in some physical fashion to create that fear. To create that sense of um, expectation. As Ravaran Salvechik used to say that my brother would tell the truth, I would lie. Namely, the Rav would be honest. If he didn't know something, he would fess up, and the father would evidently hit him somehow. Whereas Ravon Salavechik would routinely say, I know it, even though he didn't, and that way he would escape punishment, but not necessarily, at least in his opinion, generate the same type of incentive that his brother would from the father's um, little assistance. Um, but it's not just necessary practically to create, especially at a younger age, but the person who's teaching Torah is duplicating the experience of Harsinite, when we receive Tara Be'ima, Be'ira, Be'reses, Ubezea, when one of the formative aspects of Harsinai was the fear factor that we sat at the foot of the mountain and um, listening to HaKadosh Baruch Hu deliver the Torah. Um, halachically, halachically um, Hakel is a reenactment of Harsinai. The king is nominated to teach Torah, and the Rambam describes in Hilchas Chagiga the way the Torah should be taught that more importantly should be listened to by the audience, and since it is a reenactment of Harasinai, the Ramam stresses that you should try to listen at Hakila with fear, with concentration, with awe, and that's probably why the Melech is selected. It's hard for us to identify that in a Melech because we live in modern democracies where one person is invested with supreme power, is invested with the power to take life, uh, with not with impunity, but um, arbitrarily. So we don't really fear our leaders. We may respect them, we may feel uh, awe about the office they represent, but we don't really have this inherent, visceral fear. But in those days, the king possessed that authority, and presumably his presence was able to create that fear, which was crucial to recreate the experience of Harsinai, and not just Hakya. Um The Gemara in Megillah talks about the way that they used to learn, and... Um, and they still learn by the foot of the Rebbeim in order to recreate that sense of moral hierarchy. In fact, um, the Gemara Megillah has a very interesting comment. Mimos Moshe v'Rimgamliel lo hayu 
lemedim tara elameumad that they would only learn Torah while they were standing. That's how much respect and awe they were bringing to Torah. But when Rambam Gamliel died, so people became much more ill. The same Rambam Gamliel we're talking about in our Mishnah, because people were ill and weaker, they would sit on the ground. Or they would actually sit. And in that case, they would sit on the ground by the Rebbe, a practice which even that we don't recreate today. And the Gemara laments, it's actually a Mishnah in Sota, Misha Mesa Rambam Gamliel, when Rambam Gamliel died, the Kavad Atara was lost because they would sit and they would be more relaxed when they were studying. So it's a very interesting and, and even almost ironic moment when Rabbi Yehuda Nasi transfers Nasius to his son, Umagamliel, and speaks about not just the way he should be wielding the political influence, but the way he should be conducting himself in his teaching duties. Um, what's also interesting is just the scene itself. The Gemara Ksuvah said, a father who we typically associate with learning and and, um, and Torah delivery, and of course the role of the Nasi, actually calls his son in and transfers the reins and gives him this advice. It resembles, it's reminiscent of David and Melech calling Shlomo, but Melech and Shlomo, of course, were, were in a different era, and the Tanakh is a very different book, and for the Tanakh to record that succession in the final deathbed scene with David and Shlomo is one thing. For the Gemara Ksuvah to record it, it, it's a very interesting Interesting moment. Amir um, had two children, Yud and Hillel. Um, for whatever reason, neither of them became the Nasi after him. And the children of Yehuda um, assumed the Nasios after Ibn passed and was buried in um, a place called Beit Sharim next to his father, Buddha Nasi's burial plot. And uh, it's in Eretz Yisrael. We find it today in, uh, it's right near its summit called Summit Tishbi. Uh, by the Moshav called Stei Yaakov. And um, that's a little bit of history and background about Rebbe Gamliel. But now to the Mishnah itself. It's a very interesting Mishnah, or at least I'll choose the first part of the Mishnah, both at the general level as well as the specific details. Yafa Talmud Torah im derech eretz. Sheigias shneem meshakachas avon. Now the literal interpretation, at least according to the overwhelming majority of Rishonim, is that Rebbe Gamliel is issuing a statement about the importance of blending Torah study with work, with Parnassah, with Malacha, with a profession. There is one dissenting opinion, and it is a fascinating opinion, the opinion quoted in the Me'iri. The Me'iri quotes a suggestion that Derech Eretz refers to the term Derech Eretz in what we would call the modern jargon, in the modern sense. Derech Eretz would mean respect, character traits, um, good uh, relations with others, um, just general midos, as we would call them. We say the word derech eretz. Is that person he learns, but does he have derech eretz? And the little translation of derech eretz, of course, is the way of the land, the way of the world, the way of people. And there's this connotation that Torah study has its own rhythm, and the world of Torah has its own values internal, and that's really the way Torah should be. But it also has to be blended with derech eretz, the other set of standards. And in this case, that other sets of standards would be commonly agreed upon modes of decency and courtesy and niceness and sensitivity and selflessness, etc. Um, so when Gamliel says, Yafa Talmatara im derech eretz, at least one opinion maybe suggests the, again, the modern connotation of derech eretz, and therefore this statement would then be a reinforcement of the importance of personal development, of character development. Um, 
it's an interesting idea, and it certainly finds much appeal to us, but textually it seems very strange. First of all, Shigias Shnehem Mishakachas Avon, the continuation of this first part of a Megamil statement, working, striving, toiling for each, makes a person forget the tendency, the inclination, the desire for sin. Why would character development necessarily, um, and working at it, absolve a person? In theory, I mean, in theory, again, if you're interested in improving your character, you wouldn't steal, you wouldn't cheat, because you're trying to improve your moral virtue. Why would you transgress or violate gross moral crimes? But there could certainly be other types of averos that aren't directly related to morality, that are more personal averos, averos, which may in some way be deterred by character development outside of the routines and protocols of Torah, but may not. In theory, a person may be very actively and aggressively involved in moral character development and what we would call derech eretz, may have vulnerabilities, may have certain susceptibilities to avera. It's hard to imagine that it would be such a blanket statement that working on midos or working on derech eretz would absolve a person or at least aid a person in the battle against chayt. And of course, the continuation of the Mishnah also sounds as if Rebbe Gamliel wasn't referring to character development. V'chol Torah she'ein imam melacha any Torah without work, it will fail, it will cause chait. That too seems a lot more explicit. The first part of Evangelical statements was, was Derech Eretz. Derech Eretz has that ambiguity. It could refer to work, it could refer to, as I mentioned, character development. But the end of the statement, Malacha, Malacha seems to be, in the literal sense, work and Malacha. And most we showed him indeed, most Rishodim interpreted the Mishnah not as a reference to complementing Torah study with moral character development, but rather assuring that Torah is accompanied by an ability to earn a living. And of course, in a general sense, the great proponent, the great supporter of this theory was the Rambam. The Rambam was avidly, avidly opposed to the notion of a kolel, obviously something which has, hasn't really been adhered to for all sorts of reasons in the modern context. When I say a kolel, the Rambam was avidly opposed to any, any method or any form of taking money from Torah that would be kolel. It probably would include teaching Torah, but that already is debatable because the person who's teaching is a, involved in work and is involved in, in toil and is involved in and more than just delivering Torah, even the delivery of Torah is not really his learning, because he ostensibly has studied that Torah before. But certainly, outside of the context of teaching, whether it's a kolel, whether it's paying rabbis for all sorts of other Torah-related situations, the Rambam would be adamantly opposed. He quotes the Gemara Kedushin, whoever teaches his son Torah, doesn't give him a parnasa, doesn't teach him um, a way, the Gemara says in Kedushin, chavtes, to raise a family, to earn a living, um, it's like he's teaching him to be a thief. Whoever the actual lashon of the Gemara is Whoever teaches his son, it's like he's teaching him to be a thief. And then the Rambam quotes the fact that if you don't teach him listus, if you don't teach him a profession, he'll ultimately become a thief. And the Rambam writes this quite often and quite powerfully, quite um, stridently. And this is one of the sources 
that the Rambam was based upon. Megamliel's blanket statement of Yafa, Tara, and Derech Eretz. And not even the beginning. I mean, the first part of the statement really is a suggestion. It's beautiful. Tara with Derech Eretz with a way to earn a living is better, is higher. But there are many statements as such in the various Gemaras about what Yafa is. The second part of Megamliel's statement is a lot more demanding, a lot more discrediting of Torah study without the ability to earn a living. Kol Torah Malacha. If you don't have the ability to earn a living, if it doesn't include Malacha, Sofa Betela, the Torah itself will become Batel. The Torah itself will fail. The Goreras Avon. That is a lot more reminiscent of the Gemara in Kedushin. The Gemara Kedushin Chavtas about someone becoming a thief if he's unable to earn a living if he spends all his time studying Torah. Um, the phraseology here is interesting. Um, even if we accept the Rambam's premise of including some form of work, it's a very famous Rambam in Hilchus Talmatar, where the Rambam is describing the Gemara Kedushin's suggestion to divide your Torah study time into three. You should learn a third of Mikra, a third of Mishnah, and a third of Gemara, whatever those bodies refer to, and it's unclear, but either way, the Rambam writes Ketzad. How should you divide your time in three? And he writes, let's say you're able to learn nine hours a day. You're a balabas, you work, and you're able to work three hours and learn nine hours, and he therefore says a third on Tanakh, a third on Mishnah, and a third on Gemara. And it's absolutely startling to learn that in the days of the Rambam, the Rambam, at least the average balabas, the average worker, or at least the Rambam thought that's the way the average worker should be, would be learning nine hours a day. Um... So even in the Rambam's universe where you're working, you're still learning nine hours a day. But either way, what should the Iker be? What should the... Um, obviously, axiologically, Torah is more important than anything else. In the ideal world, we all study Torah. We all engage exclusively in a spiritual encounter with HaKadosh Baruch Hu because there are no deterrents, there are no impairments, there's nothing to distract us, the concept of Tikkun Olam is limited to a fallen world once we live in a perfect world. so, But we live in a fallen world and how are we meant to respond? So there's a famous debate which entailed between two Tosafists, Rabbeinu Yaakov Mitam, known as the Rabbeinu Tam, Rashi's grandson, who took the classic approach that Torah is Tafel, Torah is, uh, is, I'm sorry, is Ikar, I'm sorry, Tari is Tafel. Rabbeinu Tam claimed that Tari was Tafel. This, this is not the classic, or at least what we would think to be the classic approach. It's hard to know because history sometimes projects itself in ways that sometimes we're guilty of anachronism. Rabbeinu Tam claimed that Tara would be Tafel, that a person should basically work and earn a living and commit his time and his energies to Derech Eretz, and then whatever time is available to study Tara. And this is the language of the Rabbeinu Tam quoted in the Telsos in Yoma Peheim with Beis, the Torah tafel legabe derech eretz. Torah is secondary to derech eretz. Now, another one of another one of the Tosafists, Rabbeinu Elchanan, argued with Rabbeinu Tam and took what we would call to be the at least presumed um, Torah-centric approach. It's impossible to say. Um, the Torah isn't the central. Torah is the central one, and Derech Eretz is uh, an accompaniment. Now, a lot of their machlokas centered around this Mishnah, centered around understanding the dynamic of this 
what is called in the English language preposition. A preposition is a grammatical term connecting to, for, between, with. So here the term im, with, that preposition, creates a controversy. Yafet ha im derech eretz. Is Torah more important? Is Derech Eretz more important? So the Rabbeinu Tam felt that Derech Eretz is more important because Im suggests that the latter part of this phrase would be more significant. Was Rabbeinu Hanan felt that Torah is more important? And he quotes, of course, his sources and his Gemaras where whenever you have two things connected by an Im, the first is more important. And the Benetam quotes sources and Gemaras where the second part is more important. So this Mishnah and the interestingly ambivalent language of Yafet Talmud Torah Im Derech Eretz really jump-started this very, very well-known controversy between the Benetam and the Benetam. And it's interesting to note would this controversy actually lead to practical differences? Would the Benetam suggest less Torah learning? More of what we would call a Balabas style of life, where most of your time and energy is dedicated to the work, and whatever time is available afterwards, you dedicate to Torah study. And Rabbeinu Ochanan would suggest more of a kolel type, obviously not pure kolel if you take the Mishnah literally, but kolel type life approach, where you're invested almost exclusively in Torah study, and whatever time is available, you try to eke by a living, but at a bare, bare minimum. It's unclear. The way the Machlokas is recorded, it sounds like it was a theoretical Machlokas, but one which could quickly, quickly turn into a practical one. I mean, the real source of the practical Machlokas uh, was uh, hundreds of years earlier, a thousand years earlier, between Rabbi Shemal and Rabbi Shemal and Rabbi And their Machlokas centered around not this obscure phrase or this ambivalent, ambiguous phrase of Rabbi Gamliel, but this, uh, the very well-known Machlokas around the Pasuk in Krishma. V'yasafta diganecha and Rabbi Shmuel read the Pasuk literally that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is expecting people to work that's the derech eretz that's the way of the land and everyone will be involved in work and whatever time is available right? the Gemarim brought in Shabbos and the Flamin Aleph Rav says when a person comes to Shemayim and he's asked the following questions were you moral? did you raise a family? were you someone who anticipated redemption? A long list of questions that define religious success, and one of the questions is kavate Did you set aside time for learning? Someone who learns all day isn't setting aside time for learning. That's his mainstay. So presumably that's how HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects most people to conduct themselves. And Rabbi Shem Bayochai said no. That if you're so committed to uh, plowing and sowing and planting and harvesting and processing, when will you have time for Torah study? And instead, he says, you should commit entirely to a life of Torah and assume and hope that a Kaddish Baruch Hu will provide whatever meager means you need to survive through other agents, through other people, through other forces. But you should dedicate yourself entirely to Torah study. And the Gemara concludes that famous and Many people followed Rabbi Shmuel's mandate and they were successful. Obviously, Rishim Yochai's approach is much more austere much more difficult to succeed at. But either way, um, that is a much more practical debate. Um, getting to the second part of the Mishnah, or at least to the explanation of the Mishnah, whether we take Rabbeinu uh, Tam's read of the Mishnah, or we take Rabbeinu Ochanan's read of the Mishnah, 
both reads, um, both of them endorse the combination of the two, and for a very particular reason. Involvement in Torah, involvement in work, literally makes a person forget sin. In our words, assists him in avoiding sin, in avoiding temptation. Now, there are two approaches taken. One which I would call more pragmatic, one which I would call more existential. Rashi's interpretation, for example, the Me'iri's interpretation, at a literal level. person who studies Torah, hopefully fosters moral sensitivity, and the fostering of that sensitivity, and just the general set of expectations which Torah study should bring, will distance him, will discourage him from chait. And in addition, the accessibility of financial support facilitated or enabled by a sturdy professional life will create even less incentive for chait. If a person has money, he won't uh, desire others. He won't be jealous. He won't steal. He won't cheat. Um, we could probably broaden it. Obviously, money is not just a deterrent to um, cheating and stealing, although that's its primary, but it's also something which can aid. It's a bulwark of human freedom. It's a basis of human confidence. And presumably, though money itself brings its own set of challenges of arrogance and condescension and... Um, Full sense of of, of invincibility, of uh, independence from Hakadosh Baruch Hu, as described in so many of the parshiyos and devarim, on the eve of people taking that leap into the potential for affluence. You lose your sense of it. You believe you're invulnerable. But in general, a person who has a healthy financial life uh, can at least potentially create an ordered, routine lifestyle that will. Um, to its order and its and its and its um, systematic routine, create an ability to avoid some of the chatayim that are oftentimes a function of being tired, of being on the run, of being weak, of being insecure. Uh, every chet has its deep psychological underpinning, and if the psychology is stronger and money can make a person's psychology obviously in theory stronger, then a person will avoid chet. But there's a second approach to the mission, one which I think is even more latent in the words of the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, she, she gias shnehem mishakeches avon. The two words which immediately leap out at us in number one, yegia, the work, the toil, the effort, the investment, and the term mishakeches avon. It doesn't say monas avon or mivateles avon. Mishakeches avon. And here is, I... I'm intrigued by the interpretation of the Ben Yona, one which Ben Ovadia quotes, and again, which one which I think we all are familiar with. This is really the source of it. The person who's committed to Torah, and Torah is an infinite commitment. Torah is infinite, and to really conquer it, you have to put immense, massive investment, immense, massive efforts. We all know the type of efforts it takes, to earn a living, to raise a family, Basically, commitment to those pursuits, work and toil, person doesn't have time to wander. Person doesn't have time for fantasy. Person doesn't have time to to get involved in all sorts of downward spiraling behavioral approaches or tendencies that really can lead him squarely into the world of chait. Chazal have a phrase, batala mevi l'deshiamum. 
different. But Talo, the Sifra, I don't know it's Chazal's phrase, or the phrase in the Sefer Musar, and the Sifra Musar, many of our Chatoyim, many of our sins, whatever area we sin in, many of them are just products of free time, of indolence, of wasting time, of looking for things to do to fill the time. A person whose time is full, and we all know this from the days that our schedules really are full, where we have these um, unimaginable days of running from place to place, hopefully involved in in positive activities and constructive activities, and whether it's chesed or Torah or just work or taking care of our families, whatever we're involved in, we just don't have the time for some of the encounters that send us downward, that, that cause us such religious deterioration. And it's a very, very timeless notion, but it's even more relevant in the modern context because much of modernity has seen the development of leisure time because modern conveniences and modern inventions have freed people from some of the work and hard physical labor. A dishwasher frees us from doing the dishes and a laundry machine, a washing machine, liberates us from the toil of laundry and a car obviates the need for long travel from place to place, even from proximate locales, etc., etc. We, we open up a faucet so we're relieved of drawing water from wells, and we've agriculturalized ourselves in larger frameworks, so we don't each have to go into the field and plow and reap and harvest. But that's also enabled free time. It's also created blocks and blocks of leisure time. And to fill that vacuum... Our culture has developed entertainment, the culture of entertainment, where people yearn to be entertained on a minute-by-minute basis, whether it's arts and leisure, movies and sports, books and inter- I mean, it's just an endless, endless, endless list. And what was once a very, very secondary, peripheral, really parenthetical part of a person's life, entertainment, has now in many cases become the dominant part. You see the addiction people have to sports, the addictions people have to celebrities, to all sorts of media and entertainment, the excitement level people bring, the enthusiasm. And um, here Rabbi Gamliel is describing a very, very different reality. A reality of work, a reality of toil, a reality of amelus. Not just amelus in Tara, but a reality of, of just working at life, just investing efforts and energies in one which, aside from its own value, the ennobling product of having a work ethic, the accomplishments itself. But you just don't have the time for many of the bad interests and bad pursuits that can invite, that can court Mishakecha Zavon. So it seems as if, again, whether we take the Rebbeinu Tam's approach, the Derech Eretz is the more central aspect, or the Rebbeinu Elchanan's approach, that um, Torah is still central, Either way, this Mishnah talks about the importance of weaving the two, and not just, in the Rambam sense, practically to avoid becoming a thief, but in our moral crusade to avoid some of the character and human weaknesses that are so often detrimental to human virtue. Working hard at Torah, working hard at earning a living, can be a tool in avoiding some of those pitfalls.